Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. And special guest tonight, someone who has supported us over at Draft Deeper from the very beginning, now has his own podcast called Upside Swings uh, with, with a few other co-hosts as well. Someone who we actually had on this podcast as a guest <laughs> quite near the, quite near its inception um, Stone Hansen. We have Bryce Hendricks this week. Bryce, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. Uh, excited to dive into these guys. Uh, pretty, pretty solid uh, after work treat for me. So excited. Absolutely. So I, I said on social media, and you and I were discussing uh, in private that I was going to aptly name this podcast Going Against Consensus. Um, and, and the reason why I'm titling it as such is because, Bryce, I know that you and I, as well as with everyone else in the draft Twitter community, we generally have pretty open conversations regarding our feelings with prospects, but we don't always go by what would be the general media consensus in terms of our rankings. Obviously, we, we go a little bit off the board, but that's also because we're, we're watching so much film and we're, we're, we're definitely throwing ourselves really deep into this process that maybe sometimes we notice things that other people don't. So I definitely consider it to be a good thing, much more than a bad thing, because uh, obviously the more opinions that are out there for conversation, the more learning that we can all do, and in turn, the better we get at evaluating prospects and enjoying the game that we all love. So I only view it as a positive. So that's why I wanted to have you on, man. Um, and, and I'm going to give you the credit for the the podcast topic that we're running through tonight because you actually pitched some ideas to me when we were going through some of your prospect rankings. Uh, we'll we'll basically we'll we'll hop around your top ten a little bit. We have some guys in mind who we want to discuss, but um, I, I know that you have your top ten, Bryce, in different tiers. So you're more than welcome to to kind of share the the tiers that they're classified in as well. But why don't you just run through my audience really quick? what that top 10 is, and then we're going to dive in with somebody very specific. Yeah, so as of right now, I have my top 10 split across four separate tiers. Um, and the way I do my big board is I have tiers that stay for every draft. So like last year, I didn't have anyone in the top tier that I have Kate Cunningham in this year. Uh, it just makes it easier for me to compare across drafts and see how my evaluations change over time. Um, so in that top tier, I have uh, Cade Cunningham and just Cade Cunningham. I think he's that special. I think he's earned that spot as sort of that generational type prospect. Uh, and then I have Evan Mobley in his own tier, um, the second tier there. And then the third tier, uh, I have Jalen Green, uh, Kai Jones, and Jonathan Kaminga. And then sort of that next tier uh, to fill out the rest of the top 10, it goes Jalen Suggs, uh, Jaden Springer, Trey Mann, Moses Moody, and Roka Perkachin. Um, and then I have that tier does go a little longer. Um, but as for those top 10, uh, that's what I have right now. Yeah, I mean, if you want to fill out the rest of that tier, by by all means, I know we're going to talk about really guys in that 10, but absolutely throw my audience. Who, who do you have in the rest of that tier? Yeah, so uh, at 11, I have Josh Giddy. Um, at 12, I have Trey Murphy the third. Uh, 13, I have Davion Mitchell. 14, Scotty Barnes. 15, Franz Wagner, um, 16, Kessler Edwards, uh, 17, JT Thor, and 18, Zaire Williams. Um, There's so definitely sort of some a lot of wins there. <laughs> yeah, you can sort of see my uh, my my predilection towards 
uh, wings and, and bigger forwards there, uh, almost certainly. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I purposefully kind of just build my own thing. You know, I, I pay honestly very little attention to uh, outside consensus, I would say. I haven't looked at a mock draft in, in quite a while, um, at least any of the popular ones. I, I look at uh, my friend Stones, my, my podcast partner Stone. He does one for uh, lines.com, and I check in on that one, but other than that, uh, it, it's pretty much just sort of my own board with uh, the thoughts I kind of get for myself. So that's how I build that that uh, top eight team there. Well, you got to support your coworkers, right? You get you got to support the guys who you're creating content with, and that that that's definitely appreciated. Yeah, I I, I keep an eye on the majority of what goes on as far as major major media consensus, um, big board rankings, different mock drafts, etc. Just to kind of keep getting a feel on who really has which prospects valued higher than others. And I use that as, as a general reflection tool, but I agree. I don't usually let any of that sink into my evaluations. My evaluations are my evaluations, Bryce. I know that you feel the same way when you're looking at these prospects. So that's why I think the conversation in particular tonight is going to be great. And I want to start not necessarily in that top five, although that fifth spot is definitely related to the guy that I want to talk about with you, and that's Jalen Suggs. Um, so you have you have Kai Jones right in there in that top five, and the reason why I can title this "Going Against Consensus" is because that top five, among the the casual observer, all the way through to these major media outlets that we can talk about, like like ESPN, Bleacher Report, etc. That top five has been pretty set in stone for a while, and Suggs is a part of that top five. Um, I know, Bryce, that you have your own questions about Jalen Suggs, and I know that you've certainly shared some of those thoughts both on your podcast as well as on Draft Twitter. But in case my audience, for whatever reason, they should definitely be following you um, at this point. But if for whatever reason they haven't necessarily gotten a good feel on, on, on how you feel about Suggs and why you wouldn't have him in one of those higher tiers on your board. Why don't you kind of elaborate a little bit about your evaluation of Jalen Suggs? So, yeah, of course. Uh, I want to start with saying that, like, I do really like Suggs. I think he's a very good prospect. Um, and me having him below that top five is not meant to be a slight towards him and more of a, these are the five guys I really like. Um those sort of top five guys are all guys, you know, especially those top two, are all guys I think can be high-level ones and twos in terms of offensive or defensive or two-way options uh, at the next level. Um, and my issue with Suggs comes down to that. I don't necessarily see him in that realm uh, because of his issues as uh, an on-ball player. Um, he's an excellent defender for a guard, uh, you know, six, four, really strong, uh, good athlete. I buy the shot. I think sort of that still has some questions and the efficiency is never quite and where you want it, but he has some range on it. It looks good to me. Uh, pretty consistent mechanics. Um, and then he started to sort of figure out some, uh, some floater touch and, and some stuff like that. That was a good development. Um, but I still think that the biggest problem to me with Suggs is that the handle, I think, is, is really far away. 
And if you're going to be 6'4", instead of like a 6'7", it, it's hard for me to really, really put him in that top tier with those guys who I think are all pretty pretty elite and have a lot of upside to to step up into some some pretty versatile scoring roles in a way I just don't quite see for Suggs yet. So I don't think his handle is bad. I think that's where you and I disagree a little bit, but maybe Bryce, not as much as you think, because the numbers actually bear out here in terms of one of my biggest concerns with him. Um, really, I only have two major concerns with him. Um, I'll get to the second in a little bit, but the first would be the NBA is so heavily driven nowadays on offense by pick and roll play, right? And his yeah. pick and roll numbers didn't exactly bear out to be what you would consider those from like a top five potential pick. If you're selecting him as a point guard to come into a pick and roll heavy offense, he only ranked. And, and I say only again, this rating on synergy is still very good. It's not like it's, below average by any means, but he was only in the 68th percentile compared to some other potential pick and roll ball handlers you could look at in this class where we're definitely going to talk about one of them um, in a little bit with some of your rankings here. And then he ranked in the same 68th percentile in pick and rolls, including passes. So when you're talking about putting him specifically in that play type, I have a feeling those concerns as far as his handle are definitely where they show up the most because if you're involving him in a pick and roll and you're playing that possession very tight defensively and you're doubling him in those pick and rolls or you're bringing heavy pressure, that's generally, I'm, I'm assuming you would agree, that's where his handle kind of breaks down the most, right? It's when he gets himself in these traffic-heavy situations or he tries to be like that, that bull in the china shop, not, not directly comparing him to Derrick Rose, but kind of like how Derrick Rose back in his younger days, used to be that very bull in a china shop. When I get downhill, it doesn't matter how many people are clogging up the lane. He wants to get to the basket and try and finish or, or, or pull up right close to that basket and go to his floater, uh, but didn't always have the exquisite handle to be able to pull that off in his younger days. And I see a lot of that same thing with Jalen Suggs. So I guess it really depends if you're drafting him into a pick and roll heavy offense, you might not be able to to reap any benefits from that right away. But do you see him getting better in those situations in in time, Bryce? At the very least, it's it's tough to say. I would say handle is is probably the hardest thing for for a guard to develop um, because they're all they're asked to handle the ball so early, and you're mm -hmm. constantly seeing. Um, they're con they're constantly seeing pressure early on in their careers, and they don't, you know, we see it sometimes more with wings because they can sort of start their career in more of an off ball role and and work their way into playing more comfortably with the ball in their hands. Um, and Suggs' handle isn't like like broken. It's just he seems to have a lot of trouble with really creating any deception and some ball control issues when someone's really getting into him. Um, it's not like he like, you know, dribbles like Cristiano Felicio or anything like he's still, he's still a, like a guard who helped run an offense of one of the greatest college teams of all time. Um, and, and he uses his other skills to sort of enhance it. But I think, and, and you brought up Derek Rose, which is a really, which is a really good kind of person to, to sort of think of Suggs in the same light as, um, I think. The difference is that Rose 
had that sort of elite athleticism to buoy him. And I don't think Suggs is quite at that level, um, whether it be in the lane or pure burst. Um, I think, I think like if he had some burst, it could really make those hang dribbles. He, he tries a little stronger or, uh, you know, a cross, even if it's not a great cross, if you can really explode out of that, uh, it sort of makes up for some of the deficiencies. And I don't think he's quite that level of athlete. He's like a really good athlete, but not an elite NBA athlete. And I think that sort of hurts the handle as well. Um, he makes good passes out of pick and roll. That's why I was surprised those numbers were the same. Um, it's just sort of, I, I don't think he creates advantages super well. And that's sort of the name of the game if you're going to be a real point guard at the next level. Um, but I think there's some other roles he can fulfill that, that that still make him an excellent prospect, in my opinion. Well, when, when we talked about some of those other ways that he can affect an offense, it's really whenever he is able to get somebody on an island, that's essentially where he's best at. Um, either in, in different types of spot-up opportunities or shooting opportunities off the dribble. Um, I, I want to say, like I said, isolation, but he only registered 17 possessions technically in isolation according to Synergy, but he was in the 97th percentile in those isolation sets, um, and then you add in three more possessions on top of that to include passes. He was in the 97th percentile as well in isolations, including including passes. And you kind of saw that bear out um, on a lot of the film, right? He's very comfortable at taking somebody one-on-one -on -one and creating his own shot, whether that's pulling up for a mid-range jumper, even though some people wanted to question the jump shot. I think the questions for me more come from, from three-point range um, and some of his catch-and-shoot stuff, which we can get into a little bit. Um, but as far as him just creating a look for himself one-on-one, -on -one, I, I, I think he did that incredibly well in college. Now, you make an excellent point, Bryce, where he doesn't have that like top 1% level of burst from a guard, right? So when you're talking about him doing that at the college level, obviously Gonzaga didn't face top-shelf competition all year, but when they played good teams, Jalen Suggs is probably still a bigger, stronger athlete than a lot of those other guards that he's going up against. So definitely being able to, to withstand contact or being comfortable kind of going into people and creating contact, that's something that he, I think, is more comfortable for him to do at this level than that might translate right away or as quick at the NBA level, depending on who a team throws at him, right? Like if he, let's say he's drafted high and he immediately becomes the focal point of an offense, obviously teams are going to game plan around him more so than, than if he's kind of like next to another lead ball handler type, right? But I think if you're talking about drafting Jalen Suggs pretty high, chances are he's going to be given the, the, the keys to that offense right away. I think really... I don't know, there, there, there's there's Houston and then there's Detroit where I could see him playing next to somebody, whether that's like somebody like Kevin Porter Jr. or Killian Hayes to be that primary offensive initiator to take some pressure off of Jalen Suggs, having to, to always be crashing into those tight windows and, and then having to make a split second play for somebody else out of that. And then we obviously get into the handle concerns. Um, but how do you think he's going to be able to properly impact an offense at, at the next level do, do you, do, are you concerned with a lot of the jump shooting at all inside the arc is it mainly just outside the arc jump shooting how do you see him scoring primarily at the next level so i think his 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 optimal role at the next level is going to be as 
as sort of a guard who plays off of bigger wings. Um, I think he really fits that archetype better than anyone in this draft of sort of the ideal player to put next to uh, the jumbo initiators. We're starting to see more and more in the league. Um, And I think that comes, that's where some of my worry comes in uh, with Suggs is that he's not really viewed as that. I worry that's going to, that's going to lead to him being put in really rough situations early on. You know, the blessing of Tyrese Halliburton last year was that he was seen at, for what he was and fell to the Kings at 11, where he gets to play off of an excellent primary ball handler. And we really get to see him shine in that sort of like semi off ball connector role where his, his, his deficiencies are covered up by an elite ball handler and driver like De'Aaron Fox. And he really gets to grease the wheels of an offense in a, in a incredible way. And I think Suggs can sort of be like, like the superhuman version of that, right? Like he's a much better athlete than Halliburton. Um, I could see him really being an, uh, a pretty violent, powerful cutter. Um, and that's something that gets unlocked off of a really good pick and roll ball handler. Um, I The spot up numbers are, are iffy, but I think the shot uh, as a spot up will be okay too. Um, I, that's just sort of a lot of, eyes coming through I feel like in the modern uh era of AAU basketball and high school basketball it's their jump shots are really tailored to pull up shooting because that's what they've had to do uh you see that the biggest example is Josh Christopher in this year's draft where it's that jump shot is clearly made to be taken off the dribble um and and never ever spot up um but I think he's he's gonna rep that out I with his touch and his feel for movement off ball it's hard for me to not see him being a pretty solid to above average shooter uh, in the NBA, especially on, on like wide open spot ups and that pull up is pretty solid as well. It's just sort of, I, I think he needs someone to really stir the drink for him, which is not bad. That's 90% of NBA, 95% of NBA players need someone to sort of get the thing going, you know, but I think he's sort of being looked at as, as John Morant, right? Like where it's, this is a guy who we can give the keys to the offense is immediately going to have a 30% usage rate and, and really step in and, and run our team in transition in the pick and roll. And I think Suggs is a lot more like a Halliburton where you have to pick your spots with him. Uh, You know, a good ISO off a, off a bad defender or let him handle in transition. Uh, That that's sort of how I see Suggs. So one very popular comparison that's been thrown around more over, I'd say, the last few months than I think even during the season is Drew Holiday because of how effective Jalen Suggs was on the defensive end pretty much all year long, uh, big, big game or not big game, as well as kind of that secondary creator type role, get him on some form of mismatch one way or the other, let him kind of get going in the half court by being able to cook somebody um, and then hope that kind of that catch and shoot offense comes along. Cause you bring up an excellent point. Um, he only shot a little under 30% on catch and shoot looks in the half court overall. So obviously like those numbers that that's, that's definitely something that needs to come up. And, and that that's probably the second thing that I would say I have an issue with is the fact that, you, you talked about the jump shot being much more tailor-made for, for off-the-dribble offense, and, and I agree with that. Um, I don't think his mechanics are bad off the catch by any means, but I definitely think 
he needs to be more prepared when those shots come his way. And that, to me, I don't know if you would agree with that, Bryce, in terms of evaluating his catch-and-shoot shot. He didn't seem as prepared for those shots when they came his way as he, as he should have been. Like like somebody, a, a teammate like Kispert or Ayayi. It's, it's not just that they have um, really good mechanics and they don't change those mechanics no matter how they're shooting the shot. It's not just the consistency, but they're also prepared. They always have their hands where they need to be. They have their knees bent. They're ready to catch that ball in the shooting pocket and fire immediately. And you didn't always see that with subs. So I think if he takes the time to definitely polish that part of his craft, that that eases up one concern and that that sells you on that Drew Holiday comparison a lot more after the fact than I think initially. I, I agree with a lot of the defensive stuff. I agree with like the secondary playmaking stuff, but Drew Holiday's become a really good catch and shoot player when he's given the opportunity when he has the green light. Um, how do you see him getting better or improving at, at those kinds of looks, Bryce? Do you kind of agree with that assessment about his catch and shoot game? Yeah, he just looks he just looks like he hasn't done it before. Um so so in high school he played at Minihana next to Chet Holmgren. Um and I think some people can hear that and be like, oh, he was used to playing next to a star, but Chet was used very differently uh his his junior year to his senior year. Um and Jalen Suggs had a lot of usage in high school and didn't really take spot ups because even if you are catching a spot up with the competition he was playing it's a lot quicker to drive to the rim and, and, you know, throw down a dunk or something a lot more efficient that way. Um, he sort of has a dip uh, when he catches the ball, he likes to kind of really load up. Um, and that's sort of the thing that, that sort of gets repped out. Um, I was a shooter when I played in high school, uh, an, an off ball shooter primarily because I couldn't dribble. So no pull-ups. Um, so, so, you know, like one of the, one of the things I had to learn was you, this is how you get the dip out of your shot. I think that's something you can learn. He just like, like, it's just a role he hasn't been in is to be that off ball player, but I think that's what he's going to need to be at the next level. So there's definitely some projection there. Um, he's going to have to work on. He's going to have to work on seeing, uh, like open space a little better too. He, he a solid cutter when he's really motivated to cut or especially yep. when there's a play for it because uh, he has that athleticism but whenever there was any sort of freelance offense he could kind of be a little stagnant or or even just simple like uh, you know when you're at the wing and there's a middle drive uh, if your defender isn't looking at you you're supposed to relocate to the corner like he would sort of miss that he would kind of just stay at you know 26 feet out there uh, little things like that I think are very fixable um, it's just a matter of he goes to a team that's that's immediately going to ask him to have this crazy high usage. Is he ever going to learn those things? Uh, so that's why I really do hope the best that he that he ends up with on a team that understands what his best role really is. And then I I think that Drew Holiday outcome is is completely possible. Uh, pretty similar bodies I think too, right? Both I would say six four. Yeah, they're both uh, six, really four. strong. Drew Holiday's Holiday probably, probably is a, longer, but yeah, other than yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, that's and I think that's the one worry with Suggs defensively is just that length. You sort of worry about some switchability there, but he's so strong. Uh, you know, it's just like Desmond Bain last year. I'm like, if if you're sort of nitpicking the wingspan, I think you might be overthinking it a little bit because I, I think he'll make it work just fine. Uh, that's how I see that, at least. I mean, he 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 is. 
he is a monster on that end because of the effort and the amount of energy that he exudes consistently. He doesn't take plays off. He is, he's basically going to face guard his man, and that's how he's going to operate on the defensive end. Um, if he has to, to, to switch in, in whatever kind of scenario might be, um, he's going to do the same thing, thing to that next guy. He's just going to guard the living shit out of you. He's going to face guard you. He's going to make your life hell, and that's just how he operates. And I love guys who are that tough and that attentive on the defensive end. Um, I, I agree with as far as the length really being the only concern I can have on the defensive end because he wasn't always the best in play types with like very, very, very consistent ball movement. Um, if he has to, to play a passing lane, that's not necessarily so. He's not always going to create a deflection out of a passing lane because of that. A lot of his steals are generally right on the ball and he's just being disruptive with his quick hands, getting his hand in there. Um, when, when, when somebody's right in front of him. So I, I agree with that. But yeah, I think he's a very safe pick defensively. And, and it's really, I do really like the Drew Holiday comparison the more and more that I think about it. And I think that's why I've remained so high on Suggs. Like, like you kind of said in the top race, not that you aren't high on him, uh, but you have some other guys who you think you would prefer to draft over him for different reasons. And that's fine. I think that just given his character, his leadership ability, his toughness, everything he brings to a team from a chemistry standpoint, along with some of the untapped upside that, that you and I kind of laid out, he, he likely has on offense. It's, it may just take him a little while to, to get there doing some things than him being able to, to operate in, in some popular play types from day one. But I think that he can get there in those different offensive aspects. And then the defense is just going to give him a consistent floor to the point where even if he isn't hitting every single jump shot under the sun for his team, he can stay on the floor because of how good he could potentially be in that backcourt defensively. So um, I, I just really, I, I embraced that player. And what really sold me was when he got hurt in that game against West Virginia. And it looked like not only could he potentially have been done for the rest of the game, he, he, he could have potentially been done for the rest of the year, even if he was able to to sort of like rehabilitate through that injury a little bit. Maybe, you know, we, we've seen all these examples of players just pulling out of a college season for, for their betterment because they don't want to risk further injury or they, they just want to remove themselves from a situation. And like you're literally sitting there watching that game and you're thinking, oh, my God, like, is this the last that we've seen of Jalen Suggs? And the, the kid, the kid was, was crying, and I think those were obviously more tears of he, he was just upset with the situation in general, but you could also tell that he was in a ton of pain on the ground, and he came back in in that game and, and actually made a difference. He didn't go out there and score like 30 points after the injury or anything like that, but he played really tough on both ends of the floor to the absolute best of his ability, and I think him just showing that level of toughness, not only can he bring that to a college team, but also to an NBA team. And he can motivate others around him to bring the best out of them. And, and, and you see that right now, some NBA teams in the playoffs are lacking that. Like, God, I, I wish my Philadelphia 76ers had somebody other than Embiid to, to set that example um, from, from a player standpoint, right? Like you really only see that toughness time and time and time again from Embiid. And I, and I wish that there was another guy um, who, who was able to shake up the rest of that locker room. So I value that stuff, and that's why I'm going to remain high on him. Um, but but you're not the only one who I've seen um, j drop Suggs. Not not far, but but just a little bit to let some other guys sneak in there. But I want to talk about a few of the other guards 
um, that, that you also have in, in that top 10 of yours, really in that same tier as Suggs. You said that Springer was number seven, so we, we can go to Jaden Springer. Um, and he's somebody who I was high on preseason, then kind of cooled off on him a little bit. And I came right back around the more that I actually went through some of the film and, and did a breakdown on his numbers. So, Bryce, you're, you're the guest of honor, my friend. Why are you very high on Jaden Springer? What do you like that, that he brings to the table? Yeah, so Springer was someone who was on my radar preseason, but I, I honestly didn't really think he was a one-and-done guy. I thought the offense was farther away than it ended up being. Um, I think the thing that sticks out, first and foremost with Springer is his body at his age. Um, you could make an argument that he's even stronger than Suggs, and he's, I think, 15 months younger than Jalen Suggs. Um, you know, and that those 15 months, you know, don't don't always make that much of a difference for me as an evaluator, but it, it's just a, an interesting note that he is one of the youngest players in the draft and also one of the strongest for his size in the draft. Um, he has a pretty solid all-around game. Um, pretty good on-ball defender, uh, makes smart rotations off the ball, can can sort of play some passing lanes. Um, on offense, he, he was on low volume, but a pretty good three-point shooter. And I think the shot looks really good. It, it's very projectable. Um, and he, he handles pick and roll really well. Not sort of like a super advanced passer yet, but he has a good feel for sort of putting a defender in jail or hitting him with, with a move and a counter and getting to where he wants to go. Um, good footwork, good, good feel for the mid range, just a lot of tools in that bag. Uh, that I think there's a lot to build with, with Springer. There's, there's so much to like in his game. Um, and there's just a lot of avenues to success. Uh, something I talk about a lot with people uh, is past the success for players and how that creates more ceiling and more floor. Um, you know, Jalen Suggs, I, I think, is a little more pigeonholed into a very good, very high-level role, but he doesn't have as many paths as someone like Springer, you know, to where if something doesn't reach a certain level, he then has counters that if they reach a certain level can can even out and and help him reach that uh, those higher-end projections. Um, there's just a lot that I like with Springer. He... He impressed me early in the season. Um, he, he had to play at a really, I would say, a pretty rough situation. I just, not that there were any, like, there's any bad blood or anything, but I just don't think Rick Barnes has a good feel for how to develop guards. Um, he ended up, I, I think it was a scheme thing, because him, him and Keon Johnson both would sort of turn drives into post-ups, and, and oh, there's some value to that. I don't think it really worked for them, um, but sort of bought through that and still showed enough for me that uh, I really buy Springer this high because I think there's a lot of on-ball and off-ball equity, two-way equity. Just that bag of skills at that age in that body is hard for me to pass up, for sure. A comparison that I've heard thrown around for Springer, I'm I'm not going to pretend like I, I put this on onto the Twitterverse by any means, but I definitely agree with it. And, and I hopped right on board when I heard it um, was Avery Bradley. I, I think that's actually a very apt comparison for what you can definitely expect from him in the short term. Um, 
long term, I feel like there's a few areas, as I can outline again, but I, I want to get your opinion on that comparison, Bryce. How, how do you like the Avery-Bradley comparison, or do you have a better one for him, given some of the things that you went through about his game? Um, I don't I, I don't know if I'd say I have a better one. I'm not one who does a ton of comps on my own. I sort of – I'll pick up on the draft Twitter ones and sort of nod my head. Um, <laughs> Avery-Bradley's a good one. I, I think – trying to think like solid like really good two-way guard i mean drew holiday is one that could make sense for him as well at sort of the highest levels he's he's not like the passer Suggs and, and holiday are in terms of what they are right now um yeah i mean avery bradley makes some sense sort of just like a really good two-way uh score with some connector ability as well yeah i think that's one that makes a lot of sense so the avery bradley definitely one definitely comes into play because of as you mentioned his ability to affect an offense off the ball um what what was really good at tennessee and i think that's definitely going to come in and translate right away to the nba um different ways that he was able to excel in in catch and shoot offense he was a really good cutter in college um he certainly liked to to get out on the break fill the lane properly something that i really like to see in younger players and then scoring transition was in the 84th percentile in terms of scoring a transition so i like to see those numbers um where the biggest area that he can improve and i've actually pointed to it before that i am optimistic that he can improve is really his pull-up scoring from from the mid-range of being able to to create one-on-one opportunities in those situations i think he can get there um i i don't think that he necessarily creates bad shots but i've talked about this before he he leans back on his jumper when he's going up for a mid-range shot a little too much to my liking and it just seems like every time you see that on film that that jumper is either like clanking off the 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 very front of the rim or he's even throwing up some air balls um, in, in those situations that that's like my biggest criticism criticism for his shooting in those areas but it's really funny because when you see him shoot like a catch and shoot three for example when he's prepared he's ready for that shot he's balanced when he's going up he doesn't lean back he doesn't do any of that junk and he he makes those shots at, at a really strong clip so i think that it's more of a mechanical thing than necessarily a decision making thing um, I've had other people throw some thoughts out there that like, yeah, he's a power guard, but he's not really like quick or shifty and, and his handle isn't like next level to the point where he's creating separation on those types of shots. And that's the real reason why he doesn't succeed. Um, that that's really the area that can set himself apart that can get him into a tier of player that I would say would be above and Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley is fantastic at either driving on a dead straight line drive to the basket, um, shooting an open catch and shoot look, getting involved in cuts, et cetera. He's really good at that stuff. It's similar to the Jaden Springer, but Avery Bradley never quite figured out how to um, affect the game, pull up scoring at, at a high level. Um, what, what do you think about Springer's shot creation, Bryce? What are your concerns and, and, and how would you try and go about remedying that, that, that situation? I would agree. It's it's all in that lean, right? Um, if if you watch the best mid range scores in the NBA, they have a, a a variety of ways they can get it off, and he just he just hasn't quite got there. And I think that extends to the finishing as well. Um, you know, he he only goes off two feet as a finisher. That's sort of the common refrain for him. Um, 
but those are two things I think historically we have seen fixed most over time, especially finishing. If there's one skill that every rookie, almost every rookie is bad at and almost every veteran gets better at, it's finishing. It's just, it's something you just learn in the NBA as you get used to NBA rim protectors. Um, perfect example would be Miles Bridges this year. Look at his rim finishing numbers before this season and this season. Despite him being an elite athlete, it took him some time. Uh, I think Springer is the same way in both those areas. Um, it's going to take him a little bit to learn, you know, okay, I got to put some, got to put a floater up here instead of doing a sort of uh, lean back mid-range shot. Or, you know, I, I got to jump into this guy's chest and finish instead of trying to jump around him. Um, there's there's times that that he was just, I think, overthinking the game a little bit and and i'd rather that than like you said the bad decisions um i don't worry about the handle you mentioned some people worry about the handle um he's so strong that he doesn't need to create like a ton of separation or be super deceptive as a ball handler it's sort of yeah. like like kate cunningham you know different because kate is six eight but or, or james hart is maybe is a better example of like you don't need to blow by this guy you just need to get half a step in his shoulder and you're by him because you're so much stronger than he's going to be. Um, he showed that. I feel like he could have showed that more at Tennessee, but he got a shoulder by a guy. He was just turning into a post-up. And I'm 90% sure that was Rick Barnes because that was not something he did at high in high school. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the, the space creation will be solid. Uh, it's just sort of, it's going to take, uh, you know, a couple of years to really rep out, uh, this one, you know, I gotta, I gotta go up straight up, or I gotta get a little lean forward instead of just always leaning back like you have a hand right in your face. Um, but I, I think he's gonna figure that mid range scoring out um, and be a pretty solid uh, three level scoring threat at the next level, especially if he can extend pull ups out to three, like, like the best guards in the league. That would be, uh, you know, that's a super high ceiling for him, but that would be something special with his, with his physique for sure. I'm glad you brought up the the point about like a floater or a rudder game because he technically only attempted seven floaters through the college season. He was only two of seven on them. Um, but but you mentioned a, an important part to that, something that I'll I'll use Luka Doncic as an example and and not like as a clean cut example, kind of like what you said about Kate Cunningham. Obviously, these guys are both they're 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 bigger built to be forwards, not necessarily just guards, but just in terms of technique, how Luca's mastered, not necessarily having the quickest blow-by step to get around somebody, but to just catch that guy off guard enough to be able to hold him on your hip. And then at that point, once you're by like the free throw line or a little bit in from the free throw line, especially against like in a pick and roll situation against like like drop coverage or something like that, being able to go to that floater once you catch that defender on your hip and you can kind of hold him there. And Springer, that is, we've talked about it. That's one of his greatest attributes to his game is that he's built as this tough power guard who certainly is strong enough to play at the NBA level. And if he's going to be going up against a lot of other guard matchups, Really, it's not it's not a size or a strength thing. It's just all about getting the proper technique and building that into his game. And I think if he could do that, that would definitely open up some doors for him 
in terms of being a, a mid-range scorer and, and getting to that in-between level, kind of like you, you mentioned. We've seen enough examples of his touch around the basket or his ability to shoot like an open three-point shot and then necessarily creating everything off the dribble for him from three. I, I agree. That's that's a high bar to, to set, but certainly one that I think is attainable just looking at his shooting mechanics. Um, but, but yeah, really building out that in-between level to his offensive attack, and I think that would that would be a nice touch to, to bring together the other parts of his offensive game. I've said this before, Bryce, but I, I think if I had to lock Springer in a room and make him watch film on like one person in the NBA, that, that, that guy would be Devin Booker. Um, and the reason why I say that Devin Booker's a bigger guard, he's six, six, but when you look at how Springer approaches offense, especially when he's asked to create something or do something with the ball in his hands, he wants to get to those mid-range spots. He wants to be that that type of lethal scorer. It's just you and I both agree. It's it's the technique and it, 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 that kind of approach to it. it, it it's more about the technical aspects than anything else. Um, but Booker wasn't always like this prolific mid-range scorer necessarily either, uh, particularly coming out of college. Like his, his first year or two with, with the Phoenix Suns, I, I think they drafted him and they really thought of him as this unique three-point weapon who could hit shots from a variety of different ways. Be like, you can run him off screens. He can um, quick turn around, set his feet square up and, and, and fire at will. Um, you could have him involved in the catch and shoot game. He'd be this really unique three-point option as like this bigger two guard. But I don't think, I don't think they fully envision the type of score that they are ultimately going to get. And I see a lot of those similarities in terms of, Springer's comfort level hunting for those shots. Um, I don't know if you feel any similar type of way about that, Bryce. I don't know if you'd have uh, maybe a better recommendation for him to, to to study game off of a little bit. But what what do you think about that point about Booker possibly being someone to for for him to study a little bit? Booker is Booker is great. That's a great one. My my go to for for trying to develop like sort of a midi game for any guard is Goran Dragic. Um, especially if you're not super athletic, the way he uses craft to get into floaters and to little mid-range or turnaround shots. I mean, he's one of my favorite players to watch, always has been. Um, but yeah, I mean, Booker uh, makes a lot of sense there. That's sort of like the archetype you want to build Springer into, right? At his highest yep. level, he is a really good, he's probably a two, right? He's He's not really a point guard in the traditional sense he can maybe play the one in a drew holiday way next to a yep. player who can handle the ball more um but if he could really develop into that sort of three level score and off ball player and then really take advantage of the defense he can bring uh that that's a very dangerous player and i think that's a player who's who's very similar in outcome to a Jalen suggs and i think that's why i sort of view those guys very similarly is, is I see their range of outcomes and their best benefit to really good teams pretty similarly as these sort of off ball attacking guards who, who really, who really thrive on the defensive end. Um, so, so more similar prospects I think are sort of given credit for. You bring up a point about um, that. You definitely see him as more of a two. And, and I agree. I agree with that a hundred percent. Like, like, I definitely want to get to some other guys. I mean, we could hammer home the fact that um, in, in different pick and roll situations, Springer's numbers were were were, were pretty bad 
as far as synergy metrics are concerned, but I'm not as concerned with that as some other people might be because I, I agree. If I'm drafting him, I'm not trying to turn him into something he's not. I view him as a two. He might exclusively be a two, but at the same time, that's fine because I think his role within that position um, is, is pretty defined. It's pretty clear, and he has a really strong chance to be able to excel at those things, certainly do enough in that role to earn minutes in, in really early on in a rookie year. Um, you, you mentioned that Bryce, he's one of the youngest players in this draft class. So the fact that he has some skills where he can come in and contribute to the NBA game right away, that's always important for me. And he can get those minutes to develop those other parts of the, of his game sooner rather than later. That's a big plus. I, I absolutely agree. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to hammer him on, on a lot of the playmaking stuff. Cause I don't really, he, when I've seen him make decisions and make passes, I haven't been concerned with, with what he's doing within the flow of the offense. And that's, that's enough for me. I don't need to involve him directly in, in, in a whole ton of pick and roll sets and turn him into someone he's not. Um, but speaking of someone who pretty much excels al almost exclusively um, in pick and roll play types is Trey Mann. Um, who, who you have right after Suggs and, and Springer on your board, Bryce. Um, I wrote a piece before he got to Florida where, where I was very high on Trey Mann, and I thought that he could be this next sensation at the point guard spot, being this deep-range shooter who is able to affect the game offensively in a variety of ways from that position. Um, he's been someone who's kind of floated around a little bit. And, and this is another example of going against consensus, kind of having him as this like top 10 type guy and, and Springer, same thing. Um, I didn't even mention that, but when we were talking about it, but Springer, you've really seen backslide in these like major media boards. He, he's like in the late twenties at this point. I haven't really seen man in a lottery. He's kind of been, um, in that like 17 to 20 range is where I've seen him the most often, both on like big boards and mock drafts, but a draft Twitter is 100% higher on both Springer as well as Trey Mann um, the, than a lot of other major outlets are. So why don't you explain to my audience, uh, Bryce, we've talked about him a little bit on this podcast, but not necessarily in the same depth as we just talked about these other two guys. Why don't you explain why, uh, explain why you like Trey Mann so much? So for me, it really comes down to the most important skill um, in the NBA right now for, for a guard is – uh, pull-up three-point shooting, um, and Trey Mann has that. Uh, he's six five. He's not like six one, like a Max Amos doing this. He, he he's six five. Didn't, didn't he grow? Yeah. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, he was I think six two last year, and he was six four, yep. six five this year. Um, and you know he he was sort of learning how to use that size, but the fact that he grew three inches and became a better three-point shooter in one summer is, is pretty wild to me. I remember going through my growth spurt and, like, completely losing the ability to, to shoot a basketball <laughs> or move, for that matter. Um, but, like, his his pull three-point shooting is really special. Um, his range on it is, is incredible. He he hits it contested. He has a good feel for for step backs, for those little snatchback moves I really love where you convince a guy you're going downhill and in just one hand you never even dribble. He he really he really has a good feel for those, creates some space there. Um, and that's sort of what my feeling with Trey Mann is about. It's that he has a very interesting path towards advantage creation in a much different way than Suggs or 
Springer do, but I think it could be a more efficient way. I actually see him more as a point guard than those two, despite him not being a great passer yet. I think he got much better throughout the season. That was something I really like to see. Um, but his handle is really incredible. He has a really great feel for when to put moves on, though I think sometimes he kind of misses open space. Um, but that's something you he can learn as he continues to dribble more, which is something he didn't get to do last year at Florida. Um, not Combine that handle with a good feel for how to pass out of the pick and roll, uh, even if they're not like elite reads yet, and that pull-up shooting, to me, that's a recipe for a really good player somewhere, you know, and a lot of a lot of different ways he can help a team. Um, and he's no slouch as a spot up shooter either. This isn't Josh Christopher where he only knows how to shoot uh, pull ups. He he's a good spot up three point shooter as well. Uh, that's just it's all around that sort of offensive efficacy and, and the idea that he can really help uh, help run. Uh, an efficient offense at the next level with that shooting and that ball handling. Here's why Trey Mann is really shot right back up for me. Um, so some of these numbers, Bryce, are are, are crazy. Um, you, we, we talk about, obviously, his pick and roll effectiveness. He was in the 88th percentile in those ball handler situations within pick and roll, scoring out of those sets. He was in the 92nd percentile in those pick and rolls, including passes. So um, you mentioned his effectiveness being able to pass out of those pick and rolls. Florida designed a lot of pick and roll sets for him. That was the the, the play type where he was most heavily involved. He registered 166 possessions in, in, in pick and rolls last year, um, 290 when you actually throw in the, the passing aspects. So nearly almost 300 possessions in total over the course of the season in pick and roll. Um, he spent 53% of his time in, in that play type when you factor in all of the passing out of it. So that is an, an incredible chunk uh, of your offensive game coming in one play type. But at the same time, you talk about it, that that's one of the most popular play types to be involved in in the NBA and especially scoring out of those play types. Um, you mentioned his pull-up shooting, not necessarily just from three, although he can do that too. Um, I'm not going to take that away from him, but his mid-range shooting. So um, you, you can you can feel free to, to expound um, on pick and roll coverages, especially what we're seeing right now in the playoffs when I toss the mic back to you, my friend. But um, it seems like everybody just wants to play drop coverage and they're just going to live with it, right? They're, essentially, they're, they're going to live with what, whatever the guard is able to feast on from like a floater or like a mid-range perspective. Um, it apparently just seems like that that just is what it is. Um, and the good news for man, he doesn't even have to to take a like, like another dribble in to get to like floater territory. That man can pull up from pretty much anywhere inside the arc, and he does it to great efficiency. He rated rated in the 82nd percentile on medium range scoring, which Synergy considers for my audience. They consider that seven 17 feet out to to just inside the three point line. Um, and the shooting percentage on those shots was 47 percent. If you're shooting 47% on a mid-range jumper, that's absurd, especially at the next level. People do not hit those shots to that efficiency all the time, generally because of the defensive pressure that comes from taking those looks or the fact that they're all virtually off the dribble. It's very rare that you see somebody shooting like a healthy dose of mid-range shots in like in like quick, quick curls off like a pin down or something like that in the mid-range, whatever the case may be. It's generally pull-up scoring. So the fact that Trey Mann is, is so great 
at making those shots work, this gives him a clear-cut role to handle an offense from a primary initiator standpoint and either get the ball to where it needs to go off of an easy read um, or, or, or make the right play for himself out of those out of those situations. And I talked about this. Um, I, I was on the, the draft deck pod with, with, with Corey and Albert um, th- this past week. And one of the things that we brought up on that pod was how NBA offenses are so simplified and watered down to this point where obviously everybody has different variations, but it's really like five or six sets that everybody creates variations of plays off of. So in reality, when, when you talk about some of his playmaking, Bryce, yeah, a lot of it's simplified. Like he's making these easy reads and he's delivering the ball to where it needs to get to. But at the same time, he doesn't necessarily need to do anything overly complicated. He just needs to focus at um, excelling within the plays or, or the type of offense that his coaches want to run for him. So I think that just going back and looking at the volume at which he was involved in some of those play types and then his efficiency from that volume, that really sold me to to kind of swing all the way back up on him because I didn't know how much volume he could handle if he was really on that trajectory to potentially be a star point guard in, in the NBA. Do you do you view him as like this this potential star level guard? I'm assuming that you do. Um, or that he can get there because you would have him in the top ten. But if you, if you, even if you do, um, what are some of the roadblocks you see for him that could prevent him from hitting that kind of ceiling? Uh, so, so I do see that. I do see that upside with him. Uh, I when I wrote my scouting report on Man, which was, I want to say like right after they got eliminated in March, um, but I could be a little off on my timeline there. But I noticed those gaudy numbers too. And I was just sort of taken aback and, and comparing him to sort of the other players, uh his contemporaries. It's pretty he's in he's he's in very good company. He's a very, very excellent score pick and roll player. Um I think he has a lot more star equity than he's sort of given credit for because the best guards in the league are the ones who are the best pull up shooters. Um, if I were to, if I were to think of anything, anything that can sort of keep him from that, it's, it really comes down to if he, if he can't even make the simplest passes back, uh, in the, at the NBA level, um, if he, if he really takes a drop off in sort of how he's making those passes, uh, he, he has a really good feel for manipulating the role man in pick and roll and, or not the role man, excuse me the drop big in pick and roll and finding the role man, uh, whether it be for lobs or for little wraparounds or dump offs, whatever it may be. Um, he has a really good feel for that. Uh, but in the NBA, those bigs are just more athletic and they're bigger lots of times too. Um, and I could see him trying to squeeze those into the tight windows he likes to and the big seeing that and, and taking that away. Um, and that'll be, that'll be a growing pain. Like every, every young guard is going to have some growing pains um, in the NBA, but if he never really adjusts, never really learns to make some other passes, you know, he, he, he isn't really good at like skip passes or, um, or, or kickouts. Like if he never gets there with those, uh, that can be an issue as well. And, and then if, if the defense is going to be really problematic and the offense isn't quite worth that setback, it could keep him from being a star and lead him more into being a high level bench scorer. 
Um, but I think that shooting and that handle offers him a, a really solid floor and a really solid ceiling. And for me, that's a pretty that's a pretty good combination for a guard uh, in a draft like this. You want to know what's really surprising when you when you talk about defense? Um, he was in the 90th percentile in the country defensively. That really shocked the living shit out of me. Um, and, and I think to his credit, a lot of that does come with um, that growth spurt and him being this bigger guard, essentially going up against a lot of other guards, particularly in like pick and roll play types, for example. He was in the 90th percentile defending ball handlers within those sets. Um, he was in the 81st percentile contesting jump shots, and he was in the 89th percentile contesting all jump shots off the dribble. So clearly his growth spurt definitely helped him, uh, I guess, grow a certain comfort level in terms of kind of having this confidence to be able to go out there and defend other guards and, and making their lives living hell in different scenarios. Those are just really impressive numbers for me to be able to look at and say, well, okay, we think you can handle lead guard responsibilities from an offensive standpoint, but generally in the NBA, your position, you are who you can guard. Um, so if you're going out there and excelling at the guard spot in, in a lead role, can you bring the defense along with that to double that impact and make sure that we keep you on the court no matter what's going on? Can you go out there and defend the other team's best guard or at the very least present yourself as like an above average defender to the point where you're not sinking us on the other end of the floor? Um, obviously there, there, there's been a thing nowadays in the NBA where defense is getting a little bit lost. And if you bring that much equity offensively, then you can let some things slide on the defensive end. But we're looking at a player who could potentially bring that star level equity from an offensive standpoint at the league guard spot and also um, be one of those better defenders in, in your backcourt given his six, five size. So um, everything we've laid out, Bryce, I, <laughs> I, I have flipped 180 and I'm at the point where I, I'm kind of leaning back into what I had originally written before he, he even got to Florida, kind of just writing off that first year and really going back in with a fresh mindset and evaluating what he worked on in that offseason and what he was able to come back and do with a little bit different of a supporting cast and definitely a different role, being able to handle the ball a lot more with Andrew Nembhard having gone to Gonzaga. Um, that offense being exclusively Trey Manns. He excelled and, and did a lot of great things uh, with, with a major part of that team also being out due to some some health complications. And I still wish Keontae Johnson all, all the best as well. I hope that he can certainly get healthy um, and, and get back to playing the game that he loves. But um, moving into the last player that I wanted to talk about with you, um, you have him as a top 10 guy. I, I believe that Chuck... For our good friend Chuck from the Chucking Darts podcast has him at number four, um, Roko Prakashin. Um, not to take their segment directly from them, um, but shout out to Corey and Albert. They have this really fun segment on their podcast called Sell Me This Pen. Um, I want you, Bryce, to sell me this pen. Sell me on, on Roko because I do not view him in nearly the same light as you guys do, but I trust you both as talent evaluators and scouts. I think you both are doing a lot of great things in the community, doing a lot of great work on multiple different platforms, always sharing insightful and, and thought-provoking things, both to me as well as to the audience. 
I, I want you to get my creative juices flowing a little bit and sell me on why I need to be higher on Roko Prakashin than I am right now. This is a fun exercise, uh, taking college classes where I'm given similar uh, similar <laughs> prompts, right? Um, so I think the first thing is he's one of the youngest players in this draft, putting up good numbers in a professional league. Um, that's always something to look at. And this isn't like Poku professional league either. This isn't the Greek B league. Uh, the Croatian league, it's not like incredible, um, but it's solid. It, it would be... You know, it would, it probably has some players who could really be good G League guys or, or something like that. So his numbers uh, in that league, to be his agent already be given the usage he was towards the end of this season, uh, pretty, still pretty impressive. Um, something I would really point to is he got better, like noticeably better from the beginning of this season to the end. Um, his, his shooting, he got a lot more comfortable. He he was given more usage with the ball in his hands. Uh, really learned to play really well in transition. Uh, just as he was given more leash from his coach, he got a lot better. Um, and that's something I always like to look at: is can a player excel with more and more uh, put on their plate? And he did. Um, I think that the biggest selling point for me is actually going back to watch him against lower competition because he has, can I cuss on this podcast? I I already have my friend, just, just okay. let, let it all out there. He has what I call in my own, in my own writing for myself, uh, a bit of that motherfucker in him where he just, he wants to just push it down your throat. Like, all the time when he's playing lower competition, he hasn't played to that competition. He's scoring 60 on like all dunks. Like that's how he likes to play. Um, we talked about that with Jalen Suggs, where it's just you, someone who really with that motor, with that passion, it's hard for you to not see them finding a way to succeed. And I see that a lot in Rocco uh, combine that with him being six, eight, maybe six, nine uh, has some interesting flashes as a ball handler really smart, really inventive passer, uh, good athlete off one and two feet with some solid burst and good straight line speed, um, and then some potential as a shooter and a defender. Uh, to me, all that wrapped in one package uh, just screams top 10 pick, and there are times I consider putting him even higher than I have him now because all that is so enticing to me. So I guess my concerns with him really lie and, and maybe you can use some of those Bryce but when I'm going back and watching some of the film you, you talked about his attitude his demeanor to just want to drive at the drive to the drive to the rim and just finish with this thunderous dunk um, and let his athleticism kind of do the talking which by the way I agree I I, I, th I think he's a pretty good athlete I don't know I don't know if I'd say he he's elite by any means but I don't think you necessarily are either you're saying he's above average to like really good and and I agree with that um, both, both vertically as well as like straight line drive speed. I think he has both of those qualities in his athletic tool bag. But I didn't really see a lot of fight from these other teams when I'm going back and watching some of this film to necessarily stop him um, from, from scoring like that. And, and maybe, maybe that's just me being really fickle with the film. Maybe it's me just wanting to see an example of that against some better competition, against tougher 
levels of defense. Maybe that's just a me thing that, that I don't want to necessarily let myself buy into it, or maybe I'm completely wrong and he is creating those looks that easily. And it looks that easy because it really is for him. Like he's just that much better um, the, than everybody else in terms of that aspect of his game. So that's one thing that I struggle with. Um, and then the other thing I struggle with is I, I buy a lot of the vision stuff. I think he makes sound decisions um, when he's handling the ball, whether that's in transition or in a half court set, I think he makes good decisions. Um, I don't know. And this kind of goes off of that scoring around the rim when it, when it looks a little too easy, a little too good to be true. I don't buy the outside shooting from him either. Um, there's just, and, and I know that he, he pretty much in, in 24 games um, in, in the Adriatic League, he shot 39% from three. So the percentage checks out, but he only shot 65% from the line. And just, I test something about that shot and his mechanics just seem off. I never really see a consistent, I don't necessarily have a problem with his release and his follow through, but I never really see a consistent base on his shot. And I think that leads some really off angle and, and and ugly misses i definitely think there's um some lower body work to to be done on his shot so i don't know if you want to throw some counter arguments out against either of those points i think you, you touched on number one when you were giving an overall explanation to his game but um try and help me ease some of those concerns a little bit uh, what, what would be your rebuttal to some of that bryce so with the jumper um i think the issue uh there's two issues for me uh, one, that wrist action at the top is really violent, uh, sort of like Jalen Johnson, where he's trying to overgenerate power with that wrist. Uh, the difference between him and Jalen Johnson is that Jalen Johnson kills all his upward momentum from the jump. Coco doesn't do that. He's just overdoing it with the wrist. Um, and that's why if you watch a lot of his shots, I think a lot of them are really long um, and, or off like pretty hard left when he's from that right wing because he's he's just way overdoing it with that wrist. Um, that's something that's, that's going to take a little bit of time, but a good shooting coach is going to get that out of him. And then the inconsistent base is the problem we see with a lot of NBA players. Uh, I still think like good examples of that, like Jeff Green still has a pretty inconsistent base. And when it's consistent, he's a very good shooter when it's not, he's not. Um, and that's something you hope is going to get sort of flushed out, but you, you never know because sometimes those guys just have a certain rhythm. Uh, what I will say is that uh, he he looked more comfortable as a pull-up shooter in the mid-range than as a catch-and-shoot shooter. Um, and I think that bodes well for, for how he's going to try and play because that sort of versatility uh, is something that means a little bit more to me than just the efficiency. And I, I think he'll eventually be able to extend that out and be a solid shooter where he can really take advantage of uh, his other attributes um i would say too with the with the sort of competition thing um i agree there's no one that particularly challenges roko it's a solid league but not a solid league at exploiting his deficiencies and that's sort of my i have that same argument with alperin shingun too where it's uh, the turkish league is very good but i don't think it's super great at stopping what he's good at so he kind of gets what he wants i think roko had a lot of that but i also think that if you go and watch him, especially before this year, play in some different context, you can sort of see different sides of, of how he can succeed, um, whether it be as an ISO player or as a pick and roll roll man or pick and roll ball handler, or he's, he's a really smart cutter too, uh, really good at finding 
open space. Sort of like to bet if you're that athletic, and he's not like you said, he's not an elite athlete. I, I would say similar to like a he's Jalen Suggs is a better athlete, but similar in that they're not like elite NBA athletes, but they're good athletes, above average athletes, uh, and, and you, you pair that with IQ and the touch. I think that's that starts to paint a picture. I would agree where he doesn't have like a clear role. Roko doesn't have a this is what he's going to be 100%. It's going to take a more creative coach and and a, and a, and hopefully, you know, him sort of developing. Um, but I, I think those tools are, are really great building block tools that he has to work with and just sort of about developing those. And, I, and I'll always sort of trust that to, 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 to learn in the NBA because the NBA is, is, generally great development it's the best it's the best league in the world and Roko with all those skills and it, it it just it just paints a picture of an NBA player and a very good very useful NBA player with a lot of different fits depending on what a team needs him to do I like it I like it I don't know if I'm necessarily going to come up on him a little more just based off of your um, pitch alone, Bryce. But what I will say is that you've probably done the best job explaining um, why you like him that much personally to, to me. Obviously, Chuck has had some some good thoughts all over his Twitter um, uh, about Rocco. But the job that you just did right now to explain why you like him and what you see in him, that's given me a better picture, I think, um, and, and I understand more now. And I think that's definitely important is you might not agree with somebody. Um, you might be going against consensus in a way, but if you're able to explain your thoughts um, in a way that lets other people at least understand where you're coming from to the point where that other person in an argument or, or a conversation is like, okay, that guy's not crazy. I actually see where he's coming from. I might not agree, but I understand it. Like that's what you just did for me, Bryce. And I definitely thank you for, for coming on the pod and giving that to me. Cause it was a lot of stuff that, that I think I needed to hear. Um, and really you did that throughout the whole show, buddy. Um, I, I've really appreciated our conversations on, on social media and the support that you've shown um, for this podcast, along with a lot of other podcasts in the community. The draft Twitter community right now in the podcasting and media sector is so strong, and I love that we all give support to each other. So I wanted to personally thank you for that on this podcast, Bryce. You're, you're one hell of a guy. Um, I already plugged Upside Swings a little bit at the beginning before we really broke into the podcast, Bryce, but take Doug again, share with my audience, where can they find you? Where can they listen to you? And also where can they read some of your stuff? Cause you do write some pretty strong pieces. Yeah. So uh, on Twitter, I'm at Bryce Hendrick 14. Um, you can find all my stuff will always be linked there as well as, you know, like, like you said, I like to, I like to really support things I like, you know, it's, if, if I listen to a podcast and I think it's good, I'll tell my, my small group of followers that, uh, this is pretty good, and you should listen to it as well. Um, uh, I yeah, I host the uh, the Upside Swings Draft Podcast uh, with my with my buddies uh, Stone Hansen and Ryan Davis. Uh, we just we do a lot of like what you guys do here, draft deeper. Um, we have some really exciting stuff coming up uh, that I won't I won't spoil here, but uh, we're pretty excited for it. 
and uh, you can read all my stuff as well as the stuff from a lot of other great writers uh, at Roll Call Sports. Um, one of one of the best, like underrated sites in my opinion. Uh, there's some great stuff on there. I mean, everything Jackson Lloyd does is is genius. So just spend some time on Roll Call. Uh, you won't regret it. Awesome. Well, well, Bryce, I appreciate you taking time. To, to come on this podcast uh we'll, we'll definitely be doing some some contact collaboration in the future but i also want to take the time to thank my audience for listening to this episode of the podcast or downloading it wherever you get your podcasts if you're not subscribed already apple podcast spotify youtube what are you waiting for um hop on the draft deeper train we have a lot more coming um over the weeks leading up to the draft we'll definitely do something for the lottery i may may or may not have a very special announcement coming in the near future i'll leave that out there as a general teaser um, but also follow us on twitter at draft deeper where we're always talking about the draft about basketball whatever the case may be bryce knows where it's, somebody's always saying something so the the more people that are able to respond to it and, and and have conversations with us like i said at the top the better we all get at evaluating and appreciating and enjoying the game of basketball that we all love so thank you everyone as always for your support Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.